It's an amazing landscape. All of you should visit this place. And uh, these rocks were radiating the time and space to me. Energetically, I don't know how else to explain it. It, it, it was emanating the, that it has witnessed time itself, mm. you know, from the beginning of the formation of Earth. Hello there. My name is Kit Rackley. My pronouns are they, them, and this is Coffee and Geography. The aim of the show is to get to know, explore and celebrate the diverse and intersectional range of people on this rock we call home and their love and passions of it. We'll find out why guests identify as geographers and if they don't exactly, we'll have fun exploring all the myriad of ways that connects their life to geography. So, pour your favourite brew, get cosy and listen in. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPot. Off we go. Hello everybody, welcome to Coffee and Geography. It is an absolute pleasure, privilege and delight that joining me from New Delhi in India is Adil Hussain. Welcome Adil, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for inviting me in Coffee and Geography. Uh, both are my favorites, so thank <laughs> I'm, you. No, I'm looking forward to this. So to introduce you, Adil is an award-winning actor in theatre and film, appearing in shows such as Othello, A Play in Black and White, The Life of Pi, and Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery. I'm a Trekkie, so that's pretty good for me. <laughs> uh, Adil says he is in love with acting and is always struggling all the way to act better. He says, and I quote, I fail miserably, still found a way to live with myself in spite of multiple failures. And I'm going to talk, we'll, we'll talk a bit about it a bit later because I think talking about failure and accepting it is like really important for us as educators anyway. So uh, I definitely will come back to you on that one, Adil. Um, but uh, we're here drinking a tea or a coffee. So what have you got in front of you at the moment? Tea, actually, because I was busy doing something and my wife, she had been very kind and she said, I made some tea for you. I was like, oh, I was about to make coffee. She said, no, I just made tea. I said, okay, because I'm talking to Kate about geography and coffee. and Yeah. But now I have some tea in my hand. But very Indian tea, you see? Okay. Tea. Oh, wow, that looks lovely. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a very special way. You know, we brew the tea, uh, we boil it in milk and water. We let it boil for some time, and then it takes a color, and then half a cup of tea, half a cup of water for one cup of tea. And then we boil it with cinnamon powder and uh, cloves powder and a bit of ginger powder. We let it boil for some time and and then we put one tablespoonful of tea for one cup of tea. And then we let it brew and turn the then this the color of the tea turns this uh, dark. And then we add some sugar and and drink. It is fantastic. Now. <laughs> Of course, being British, we're like T T T T T, and like I know. and our colonial <laughs> influence and dis, you know disruption was kind of brought. But no, listen, everybody, we cannot. We have to take a back seat and say, you folks over there in the east, you're the tea kings. It's coming all from you. You need to show that. That was that almost sounds like ceremony, the way that you brew your tea, rather than us. It's just dunk the tea bag in from our blend from all over the world. Pour the milk and off we go. <laughs> where, where where did the leaves come from? Are they are they local or do you get them from a shop? How, where did you source the leaves from? 
It's very interesting uh, that you ask me that because the leaves, they most of them come from my home state where I'm born, Assam. You oh, get Assam nice. tea in Norwich, I'm sure. And I'm born uh, very close to tea gardens. And I grew up drinking tea that we produce in Assam. They are sold in the States. So I tasted the best tea produced from a sun in Amsterdam, and I said, no, this is not Santi, and she was completely flabbergasted and said, what are you talking about? This is Santi, why would I lie? I said, I'm from Assam, and I used to tell you what a Santi looks like. <laughs> then, because I couldn't recognize the leaves, because I used to get the dust part of it, which is the leftover, you know? And then when I smelt it, and I was like, yeah, this is a Santi. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is from Assam. This is most of the tea I've sold in India uh, are from my home state. Yes. Yeah, so you've been talking about that you're from from Assam and uh, a town called Golpala. And uh, yeah, and the other thing I would like we like to talk to people about is their sense of place, how it's formed their identity. And for those people who don't know where Assam is, this is the um, one of the regions to the northeast of, of Bangladesh, you know, when as India comes over Bangladesh and Assam is in that little bit there. So you're in New Delhi at the moment and you're from Assam. You spent a bit of time there. How has all this... How, how has all this developed you as a, as a person, your sense of identity? What what parts of Assam stays with you? How much has New Delhi formed? And of course, you've traveled all around the world doing bits and bobs. So how has that all come together to form Adil Hussain today? <laughs> I wish I knew to explain. <laughs> Assam is probably the biggest part of my you know, of my foundation of anything, our emotional foundation, if we can use this controversial or very ambiguous uh, <laughs> a word, psychological foundation, and and also the the the, the rhythm of the body, the uh, choices that I make in terms of uh, music and uh, sound, which soothes me or which annoys me <laughs> both ways <laughs> again. Um, because it's a very culturally culturally alive and diverse and vibrant place and uh, it has it has got an amazing uh, variety of um, you know folk music uh, classical music uh, uh, dance and um, Vocal music, instrumental music. There are several kinds of instruments that uh, that that are specifically played in that region, which you will not find in the rest of the country or the world. Even theatrically, you know, there are a lot of theater performances uh, influenced by the Western theater, of course, and also there are a lot of amazingly rich literature. Um, so all these uh, had shaped my understanding of uh, the world. Which came in very early in, 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 in my system, in my human system, um, since my childhood. So I, I would say that, uh, the foundation of my general worldview, which unconsciously, subconsciously, if we can use those Freudian terms, uh, had been sort of filled with all these amazing things that I had been exposed to right from my childhood. Um, Delhi is the other part, which I would say that 
the foundation and the and the and the solidity of the foundation which I had uh, had been shaped uh, or, or or carved to a finer, if at all, it has gotten fine. <laughs> I'm just saying that you know <laughs> it has gotten finer with the kind of uh, teachers that I met at the drama school and the people I met and books that I read, uh, theater that I was exposed to and seeing world uh, world theater and world music, mm-hmm. live performances in those days when I studied here. Of course, now it is available online, you know, anywhere, yeah. but the curated version of the classical, uh, Western classical music and dance and theater and Eastern classical music and dance and theater and art, history of art and all that that I, we were uh, we studied in Delhi and the capital city being a capital city, it is sort of constantly uh, visited by the great uh, performances uh, of different kinds of performances from puppetry to exhibitions, uh, art exhibition, modern art and ancient art and all that. So I would say that it, it, it's all mixed up, but I cannot deny the fact that you know, the foundation was so well laid. Uh, people, those who don't like me, will disagree, but <laughs> people, those who love yeah. me and like me, they will agree to it. And Assam <laughs> has played, and especially my hometown, you know, it is in, in the border between Bangladesh and West Bengal, which is the other state uh, which speaks mm. a different language. And uh, because of this uh, kind of uh, geographical uh, uh, placement uh, where the town is, I was lucky to be influenced by both the cultures, both not both, three different cultures, you know, the food-wise and linguistically, uh, literature-wise and music and sound and, you know, songs and all that. And also landscape that played a very important role. The landscape of Assam is so green, and um, it reminded me, when I went to uh, the UK, um, Dorset is, uh, in terms of, if we don't look at the, you know, sea, and if you just, if you're in, in uh, you know, inland, and, you know, the greenery, or Wales, when I went to Wales, I saw this green, an amazing green. Uh, so that kind of soothing color. And uh, the fruits and uh, and the leafy vegetables and and you know different kinds of trees and fruits and flora and fauna and the sound and the soothing humidity uh, it keeps your body supple and it keeps you uh, your inner emotional being which is influenced by the climatic condition and I deeply believe in that climatic condition gave birth to the kind of people that we are. Uh, or influenced the kind of people that we are, we, you know, and and it, it definitely topography and geography and climate, all these are part of geography, of course. Uh, climate had this had sort of given birth to different kinds of melody, you know, how to move in the on the on the um, on the terrain of that place, the rhythm, the the, the length of the rhythm, yeah. and the kind of sound that it produces. All these are definitely part of the talk that, you know, that you are, you, you know, Kate, this is the first time in my life I'm talking to someone, uh, about this because nobody asked nice. me about it. And you're a geographer <laughs> and that probably, and it will make sense to someone who, 
understand geography. You know? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. For first of all, I mean, for for those who don't for those who don't know, and I'm I'm not sure how it works in the Indian education system. And, and I know you said that you've got an undergraduate in in geography, but in the UK, geography is very interdisciplinary, very interdisciplinary. So we don't just teach about where places are or what they're like. We also teach about all the human and physical dynamics. So it could be anything yeah. from plate tectonics. It could be the weather and climate. It could be development. It yeah. could be immigration. But all those things. Right. So, but the trouble is, because we're so we're so spread thin over so many amazing topics sometimes we do get a bit reductionist so so you mm. said on, you know Gopara's on the banks of the, of the Brahmaputra which goes in so there is lots of geography teachers that talk about how the Ganges and the Brahmaputra you know confluence into and cause all the culture in Bangladesh mm. and the trouble with flooding but we don't yes. think about and then we talk about oh yeah the upper reaches of the, of the Brahmaputra of course there's they cut down trees and that causes flood well no it's a bit more complex yeah. than that is a little, and you're talking about oh, yes up there, you know where the Brahmaputra comes into Bangladesh. It's fascinating. Right. Yes, it is. Oh, okay, a question that came to my head. I was going to um, mm. come to this a little bit more later because um, a guest that we had previously, uh, Joanna Mendes, she's from Portugal. She now lives mm. in Exeter in the United Kingdom. She works for the UK Met Office. It's a very uh, lovely person, and. She is very into Indian culture, particularly Indian music um, and oh. yoga. So the question I want to ask you then, because you were talking about your body being supple and looking within, you know, and I used to do a bit of yoga myself. Would you therefore <laughs> say that the environment that, that you grew up in to make your body supple, make your look inside and things like that, is that why yoga started where it is in your part of the world? Yes and no. I think I'm not sure. I mean, um, I'm not an expert on yoga. Uh, I mean, the word yoga, uh, the way the Western people understand mostly is about the kind of physical exercises that are done. Yeah. That's the rudimentary part of yoga. Um, that's, uh, that's about preparing the body physically to take on supple and subtle and nuanced energies if it flows. So um, it, it, that Yoga, the word means union, and union means union uh, the way that I have been, I studied and understood a little bit of it, and I practice it. Uh, that is union of the physical body and the subtle bodies. So the yoga, the kind of physical exercises which is included in this entire process of yoga is to prepare the body so that the body is stable and um, can handle endurance uh, and and you know uh, can build stamina in order to uh, proceed towards the higher goals the higher goal uh, is to unify oneself with the divine energies so that's you know that's the highest goal yeah so uh, the question that you asked me about uh, is it part of the yogic process or yogic traditional culture that people are supple? I think um, probably it is in a way because the kind of lifestyle uh, which were led by Indian people and still, uh, apart, uh, apart from the fact that the Western way of living has come into, you know, come in very, very big way like chairs and tables and the Western system of Komod, uh, where you sit and do your, you know, early morning uh, defecation 
these things have changed our lifestyle and also created a lot of trouble in terms of bowel mm. movement. And bowel movement in India had been the first thing that you do when you wake up in the morning every day. <laughs> right. You know, if you if you if your defecation hasn't happened, then you are you are not well. So every morning, every day, it is imperative that we must go to the toilet and you know clear our bowel. You know, that is in a sitting position, which is the squatting position, which is known in the West as the Eastern system of toilet, <laughs> uh, is not there anymore. It is important that we understand this because the things that we eat, because yoga is connected to, it's a wholesome understanding of the physical system and also the mental and emotional and psychic system. So it is not only the physical body, but the physical body plays a very important role in how you feel. Your gut bacteria you know, decide a lot of things the way, you know, your mood, how the mood feels nowadays, the sciences uh, come up with fantastic um, studies and experiments. Right. Yeah. So, yes, the food, like the way we used to eat food, we would always sit on the floor mm. and would eat, you know, never on a chair and table. And I didn't grow up eating food, uh, lunch or dinner or breakfast, sitting on a table and a chair, you know. And uh, so the sitting down on the floor and getting up is itself is a very important exercise that the body could do. The chair, invention of chair, is one of the worst things which has happened according <laughs> to my understanding and which is being proved slowly. That you are being asked, people, those who are on a sitting job, they're asked, oh, every 30 minutes or 40 minutes, you should, you know, stand up and walk around <laughs> yes. so that you are healthy enough. Because the source muscle, which is, which is related to, it needs expansion and stretches in order for you to not get into depression, uh, which is very interesting understanding. And I was reading about it. I was like, oh, how come our ancient, you know, ancestors knew it? But anyway, so yes, it is part of the yoga is very part of the, you know, uh, everyday activity in this part of the world. <laughs> There's two things that came to my mind there. One is that I immediately adjusted my posture. <laughs> and the second thing is that we had to, for this job, working from home a little bit more, of course, we've had to um, undergo training about proper posture and taking screen yes. rates and things like that. So yeah, not, we need to we need to get back to those kind of um, ways of considering our body, I believe. Um, you, there's a lot of stuff you talked about which is so fascinating you know about the yoga is one of those things which we know has been westernized quite a fair bit and it's it's a window into indian culture but it has been appropriated in in a way from a western point of view and one of the things right. geography educators do not with any nefarious intent at all but we are we are trying to address this now with like the decolonizing movement over here is that because time is precious and we're so rushed to get through content but we also want to have the kids engaged what we tend to do is that we use popular culture to teach about place. So, for example, um, I used to do this wonderful unit, which which was all about London and Mumbai, and not just comparing the two places, but also exploring how they're interlinked, you know, the things that people in London might be able to learn from people in Mumbai and how it vice versa. But one of the things mm. that me and a lot of other educators done was when we talked about, for example, Diwari and other settlements such as that in uh, Mumbai, we would use the first opening scene of Slumdog Millionaire, for example, because it's popular culture, it's well-produced, 
and it's a window into that. So, a question I want really want to ask you, Adil, is um, from someone who works, you know, in the industry to do with popular culture. Is what do you think is the benefits of bringing popular culture into the education system? But what do you reckon? Do you think we need to be cautious about? Because I know, speaking to enough people, that that opening sequence of Slumdog Millionaire may necessarily not be representative of even that small little piece of India. So what's your words of wisdom on that? <laughs> I think there are, there, there are great advantages and disadvantages at the same time of popular culture. I'm, 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 I'm constantly navigating that. You know, the popular culture makes a reductionist views of, you know, any situation or like, for example, um, Slumdog Millionaire, in a way, is a very, very well-made film, I must say. And also, it represents a reality of India. And uh, I would not deny that at all. But at the same time, uh, the Bollywood, on the other hand, does the opposite job. You know, it, it just shows the gloss and glitter part of the <laughs> right. uh, middle-middle class and upper-middle class families, family dramas and all that. Sure. And nowadays, they have copied quite a lot of Hollywood-style, you know, uh, action films that spy thriller, and I'm, I'm being part of them mm-hmm. as well. Uh, at the same time, what popular culture does, like I was, a, as probably you have read about my stand-up comedy um, <laughs> stint in my life uh, from 1985 to 1990, uh, almost six years or maybe five and a half years to six years. We used to use a lot of popular culture in order to bring about, um, bring it to the surface and put it in a narrative, and that narrative was uh, influenced by the popular Bollywood films or Hindi film industry, uh, as I would say. Yes. In order for people to make it palatable and easier to grasp, uh, we used to do a lot of political satire and satire on the cultural uh, activities in Assam and neighborhood states. And we would criticize the government, but we will bring in uh, Bollywood actors, we'll imitate them, and we'll talk about the socio-political situation in right. Assam. You know, we take on one subject. So, uh, and it became, and the audience members were like. Sometimes it would cross 10,000 live audience, you know, and uh, not less than ever 5,000 people. So, uh, and those people would constantly be there to waiting for us to listen to us. And, and they would be going home smiling, but thinking as well what we said. So this becomes a very, very important uh, genre, I would say, uh, in order for people, those who are not much of a thinker, they're not much of an, uh, they don't engage much with critical thinking, you know, but yet they have something to, if I can say, use the word food for thought. Hmm. Um, So that is the advantage of uh, popular culture, I would say. But the trouble is that, Popular culture also tries to iron out all the nuances. You know, it right. iron out all the subtlest aspects of human activities, human society, and human expression. And that has its own uh, downside uh, because it becomes very black and white. And mm. um, the grey part, the part, it's like all the most of the superhero films. You know, either, either they are bad guys or good guys, and. Uh, it is also changing slowly, the gray guys and, you know, uh, but thankfully it is changing. And I'm sure that evolutionary process of human society is a very slow thing, painfully slow, and we are evolving. So uh, probably we have to do both, but with a lot of responsibility when we 
are making uh, it's a very interesting thing one of my teachers who very beautifully said that the films which are coming out of uh, you know even from the british film industry or uh, hollywood or indian film industry they are very crafty people you know they are extremely good at making all these series that i am watching including uh, famous uh, game of throne and all the other series that <laughs> those were coming out <laughs> uh, on the different ott platforms they are very well made like uh, he he likened it to like Uh, the vulture, which can fly very high with extremely skilled eyes, you know, but looking at the lower depths of humanity, you know. Nice, I like that. So instead of looking at the beauty of nature, I'm not saying we should only talk about beauty, but also the contrasting existence of, and in this contrast. there is the, the concept of like there cannot be night without day there cannot be day without night in all the opposites has its you know uh, significance and we must find a way to tell stories which allows people to sort of take a macro view of the of their own lives or you know or the society or the nation or the world politics or the geopolitics you know all that uh, and and uplift their uh lives instead of pushing them to the micro micro existence and push push them further to their uh, misery yeah uh, that this is life is all about instead of the you know that there is another way to look at life which yoga probably not the physical part of the yoga that the, you know I, we were talking about but the entire yogic system is talking about yes in misery there is beauty as well mm. there could be beauty like for example the chinese uh, proverb which says that the day you can relish the most unpalatable vegetable roots you have arrived somewhere <laughs> uh, yes i think i've heard that one <laughs> um i wasn't going to bring this up because i was trying i was trying to deliberately avoid this it's a good thing not a bad thing um but a prime example of popular culture where where nuance has been tried to be brought in and there's been i wouldn't say there's been a pushback or a backlash but there's been resistance to it because because it's because it gets people to think is we we got in contact initially because I messaged you on Twitter after seeing your first appearance on Star Trek Discovery and I'll say it to you now because I'm speaking to you but your performance in that when you first came on the scene was absolutely beautiful and touching and just the emotion on your face because we were all going through that that issue you know we're all mm. isolated we were all um unable to see our friends that was brought to the extreme of course by the writers of Star Trek Discovery by putting you in the 32nd century and all those kind of things um but then the whole narrative about hope about connection all came out and then for me as a trans person that scene and spoilers for anybody who's not yet seen season 3 of Star Trek Discovery that scene where um Adira comes out to um Paul Stamets about being non-binary and all of that was beautiful because they were trying to build in the nuance you know the fact that that is so much more to humanity than just as you just said the bad guy the good guy there's so much more to humanity than just the binary of you know there's non-binary and everything like that and it was just so beautiful and i and yes that's great writing and i do i just want to say on behalf of everybody i'm so so pleased that you could have been a part of that moment in in what i would thought was uh, television history anyway and you've got another film coming up um i think if if i'm right in thinking it's in post production it's called um footprints on water so a british indian film and i think geographers 
might want to be interested in this when this comes out because it's all about uh, an illegal immigrant father who's in the UK trying to search for his missing daughter. Um, so there's not very much, inf- and I know I know you're under embargoes to talk about things <laughs> when they're not being released, but it's just another example of how popular culture is bringing these things to the surface, enabling, as you say, a more nuance, a more of a critical thinking process, which we need in education, especially with our young people as they start to enter life. I, I can talk about a little bit of this film, but... Only enough, that won't get you into trouble. <laughs> no, no, yeah, I, I, I completely understand that, and uh, it's in my mind. What I wanted to say is that if you look at it from migration point of view, you know, um, humans have migrated uh, across the globe, according to certain studies, uh, DNA studies, which mm. uh, was a massive study from Africa and it went upwards. So this migration is a continuous thing and which happens amongst the animals and we are probably uh, more intelligent animals. I doubt sometimes though, but uh, <laughs> hopefully we are. Um, resources uh, played a very important role in human migration uh, and greed as well, uh, yeah. like the Britishers colonized India and rest of the world and, and a huge, had a, a huge empire, the European countries, including France and Spain and Portugal and, uh, and, and the, and the Dutchies, they all went in, you know, for resources, uh, to, uh, make them wealthier, to have more comfortable life. So similarly, uh, um, you know, a country like India, we have 1.3 billion population and uh, because of the political system and the lack of integrity amongst most politicians in India, we the resources are not equally divided and people would like to seek out for better lives, mm-hmm. and, and which is a very normal human tendency. And I think uh, the story of uh, footprints in water uh, on water is, is that of that. It's about human migration, you know. I have witnessed myself, you know, amazing stories. And uh, so this family, you know, they go to the UK in, you know, looking for a better and comfortable life and then um, uh, falls into the hands of the fraudulent company and then daughter goes missing and how the father could not go to the police because he's illegal uh, migrant and uh, he looks for his daughter. Uh, in the process, um, uh, we see the plight and miseries of the people who are not uh, documented or those who are not in the system. And this is a human creation. You know, the, the boundaries and the, the political boundaries of of uh, the geographical, you know, the, the of divi- division of geography and all that. And uh, and people would break that because that's unnatural, yeah. completely unnatural. Uh, uh, you know, if you look at it from the historical point of view, that people have migrated freely. You know, they do migrate freely. The birds migrate freely. And we don't. We are not allowed to unless uh, somebody stamps me a visa and, uh, and quite often rejected. If I have to go to, I haven't been rejected yet because probably I had legitimate uh, amount of money in the bank that I was not rejected. Right. <laughs> um, I went to the UK to study first time in 1993 and uh, I got a scholarship and I went and I was given the team today. My visas were not uh, rejected. So mm. this film is about that, uh, where the misery of and the trauma 
a father especially you know goes through um and and psychological trauma the father goes through while looking for his daughter who has gone missing for four days and and what are the tremendously you know tragic tragic situations which in predicaments which the daughter has to go through and much we haven't spoken about that much generally in world cinema Mm. So this is a film that I'm looking forward to watching. Wonderful. Yeah, and I'm so, so glad I could give it a plug because I think by the time that this podcast episode gets released, maybe the film will already be out. So I'm, I'm hoping that people listen to this will then go and seek that out. So yeah, that's 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 fantastic, Adil. Thank you. Um, sticking with, with we're all being part of nature as humans, I mean, obviously, so as a geographer, I strongly believe in that and we should be free to move around like the birds and like, like that. And you're right, it is... a a normal animal instinct to yes. you know, migrate to find a better place for yourself. Now, um, there was you did a wonderful, wonderful interview back in uh, 2012 for the Ninth uh, Dubai International Film Festival. And um, for for the listeners, I will play a clip here. When you read a script, you always think, "Oh, this is going to be filmed," so you don't know how. When one thing you know that is Ang Lee who's making it, so it will be great. Of course. But after watching the film, um, when Barack Obama says elegant proof of God, um, this is so such an Indian way, not of Barack Obama, but the film, that the generally what I have grown up with the stories like, that nature takes care of you to make you believe in God sure. in so many ways. You know, nature would put you in situations where you were cornered like that. And then you surrender. Okay, I don't know anything. I thought I knew everything and my little mind thinks that, that, that. And finally, when everything, everything disappears in front of you, there's no way that you can do something for yourself. Then you revisit we, your ideals. You re revisit, you, you look within. You reflect, or you look yes. up whatever you say in india we in india we believe in looking within uh, looking up is just a sort of a ritual but looking within is the real journey Absolutely. so that was you there talking about looking within and connection with nature um adil can you are you able to describe to us a time where maybe you've had that experience with nature where nature has made you look within and think i mean you've, you've alluded to it already by the way that you've been talking um but has, has nature done that for you we're like really really gone introspective on, on yourself immensely immensely uh, significantly and miraculously so uh, i don't know how else to describe it uh, i just g would give you an example sure um i uh, was lucky uh, to be on a river island for three and a half years living in a hut without electricity and running water next to a running river and in the wilderness um, in in, in southern uh, part of India, and and because of my search uh, for a better way to embody characters or roles, rather, I prefer to use the word role mm. than character. I I to to understand uh, because as I said that the physical body is the most uh, palpable thing and most tangible thing that we we sense you know our five senses and the physical body so i wanted to understand this instrument 
through which I I express myself, uh, in, in, you know, while I'm acting. Uh, to understand that, I was, uh, it's a long story. So I, I went to this river island and few of my earlier students and some students uh, from different parts of the world, including uh, from Germany, from you know, Denmark, uh, France, and uh, Australia, uh, sorry, New Zealand, America, Austria, uh, they came and we started sort of working together in order to understand. So in, in one of the uh, activities that we did was to connect with the five elements, and especially water, fire, uh, nature. When I say nature, means the rocks and the earth, basically, and wind and, mm-hmm. and the sky. And uh, we uh, used a, a technique from the Hawaiian shamanism called uh, grokking. It's not an English word. Mm. Uh, but this is a technique to embody the other, and that other could be anything or any any idea. Uh, mostly, it's about a physical a thing outside of you. How to embody that? How to bring it into your system and to become one with it? Uh, so we worked a lot, and one of the there are hundreds of stories. Uh, if I start writing a book, probably it will be a not a trilogy, but probably 10 volumes, <clears throat> if I have the time one day and patience to write. Um, so one of the stories I remember that I was working myself with a jack, jackfruit tree. And I was, after four hours of, um, you know, uh, uninterrupted work, uh, which led me to a very deep space of consciousness and, uh, and si- solitude and silence and quietude. I... Uh, realize this, I mean, this sounds uh, pretty, uh, um, not, not very, uh, I don't know how to say, it, not very profound, but the experience was so profound. The only thing which came to my mind after four hours that, oh my God, uh, this tree is my greatest grandmother, means not grandmother or grand grandmother, but the primordial grandmother. Right. And who is ready to feed me. And who is ready to allow me to climb, to smell, to feel, to hug, to cut, to chop, to eat the fruits, you know, to make anything I would like. So, so sacrificing, so giving, so um, all-embracing grandmother, greatest, as I said, the primordial grandmother is willing to sacrifice itself for my well-being. And that wasn't that I'm trying to sort of put words into my experience, but the experience was so palpable, extremely uh, real. And um, I I just silently hugged the tree and stayed there for, I don't know how long. And and, uh, that that was one of one of my greatest insights uh, into not, it's not about the tree only, it's about all elements. You know, it's with the water it happened, with the wind it happened, with the rocks. And the rocks in that area where I stayed, you should probably, uh, you know, talk to your students to find out for themselves that I was told that these rocks are the most ancient rocks on the planet Earth because when Earth was in a molten state, this area and one of the areas which finally went to Africa, Gondwana land separated from India and went to Africa, are the oldest formation of rocks. It's 3.6 billion years old. And I didn't know that. Uh, for years I didn't, two years I spent, I didn't know that. But what was 
uh, mesmerizing was that I used to sit on a particular uh, you know space and eat my lunch and dinner and breakfast. And I used to look at these one of the rocks, which is right across the you know the the, the dining room, which was an open dining room. There was no wall uh, because it was a hut and a patio. And I used to keep looking at the rock all the time, <laughs> and I never got bored. So I was like, what is this all about? What is this rock all about? Why am I looking at this rock and I don't get bored every day? <laughs> For three and a half years, I stayed there. Then, then uh, after doing some studying, I realized that this rock and all the rocks across that area, 70 square kilometers, they, these rocks are almost as if someone has put one, of, one rock as big as like five-story building had been put on top of the other. And, uh, you know, someone has put it on top of the other, all separate. It's an amazing landscape. All of you should visit this place. And uh, these rocks were radiating the time and space to me energetically. I don't know how else to explain it. It, it, it was emanating the, that it has witnessed time itself, mm -hmm. you know, from the beginning of the formation of Earth. So, uh, I don't know. There are, again, hundreds of stories like that of all the participants, those who had been there with me. And it, it is amazing how beautiful the experience is. Right. Uh, well, I, I, I've, you, you rose to the challenge of trying to explain that very, very well because there is so many things where, where you just can't explain that feeling, you know? No, and, and I think, no. I think us as a human race, need to come to accept that that sometimes the feeling that you get and the connection that you get that can't be put into words you know needs needs to be embraced unless of course you are shakespeare unless of course you're shakespeare unless of course you're shakespeare <laughs> yeah he, he found a way to explain and and describe with these amazing cluster of words that i had been lucky to feast on them playing othello for yes. 10 years well, I tell no. you what, Adil, you but you also do a fantastic job through your your acting, the way that you communicate sentiment and feeling, you know, just by your actions and and um, so there's so many multiple ways of, of of doing that, not just through the spoken language. And it's, right. it's interesting right. how I've got to you're the third, you, I think you're the thirtieth or fourteenth person I've spoken to for this podcast. I never knew it was going to go this far, Adil, to be honest. Um, but what I've now started to get is that there are threads appearing between my guests, even though we're separated so by so much of the world. So we were talking about language with, uh, with, another, um, with another guest, and we were talking about how, for example, some, some uh, indigenous populations in the Western United States and Canada have multiple words for tree. Because a tree can be, you know, can function in so many different ways. It can mean different things to different people. So, whereas in English, it's just perhaps you just got, you know, seed, sapling, and tree. Whereas in this culture, um, you know, they could have the a word for what the tree does. So how it nurtures the earth, how it mm. stops flooding, mm. how it could be used as a resource. And it's just, mm. yeah, I'd. I, I, I didn't study language depth, but I tell you what, it's something that I probably would do if I ever changed tack and changed focus. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so mm. it's a shame to move on because it's so great. Uh, we'll have to set up a second chat sometime in a future deal because there's so much we can carry on with. Um, so there's one thing I really do want to chat to you about, though, because I found it really profound that you put it in the um, in the description when you came on. Is And I, I really do want 
teachers and students to to hear this discussion. And that is in your bio, you said when you were talking about making mistakes and and failures and things like that, um, you said about managing failure and things like that. It's like getting, you say, it's like getting mini heart attacks, seeing myself on screen with multiple mistakes. I must say that I have gathered the courage and almost call myself brave warrior fighting my way to stand up and act again. And the, the way that the education system, particularly United Kingdom in, in Western culture set up is that it's so, so, so geared towards passing your exams, making sure you get onto the next course and things like that. And there is such a fear of failure, not just with mm. the students, but with the teachers as well. I used to be mm. crushed mm. when I felt I failed one of my students. Maybe they were estimated to get a grade A, but they got a grade B or C. I felt crushed. Mm. So... um I really, really want you to talk a bit more about how you've, what you've done there in order how you kind of use, maybe use failure as, as, as fuel as a tool and how you use that to kind of improve your acting. What words of wisdom and, and encouragement can you give to teachers and students? <laughs> well, there is a, a, it's a wonderful conversation I had with someone. Uh, it's on YouTube if you go and if okay. you type probably Adil uh, uh, on failure. You know, there is a, there is, I think, an hour long conversation if anybody wants to, you know, um, uh, look at that. But the thing is that, uh, I, I probably, uh, the idea of success would define what failure is. And, and for me, the idea of success was never to become known or never to pass an exam or never to prove probably, uh, probably I had something to prove to myself, not to anybody else, probably, I'm not sure. Um, uh, I think that is very important in the beginning, but the trouble is that the society teaches us that success means this, this, and that. It has been categorically defined as uh, passing exams and getting a job and blah, 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 or if you want to go in in this line of, you know, art and culture, then you have to be a known person. Um, success for me is about having a good night's sleep uh, without any kind of drugs <laughs> or medicine uh, uh, and feeling at peace. Uh, that is success for me. And uh, there's a, I'm sure that this story had been told several times, or this is a good story, if you can, uh, you know, if one can look at it again, mm. I think it's never uh, enough to uh, repeat this story. Yeah, uh, it is set in Indian uh, situation, but I I heard the stories in several parts of the world differently, but probably some of you haven't heard. So for the benefit of that, why not? So there's a fisherman sitting under a tree in India near the sea. And, uh, you know, poor fisherman and uh, leaning on the coconut tree, on a coconut tree and smoking uh, a cigar, a cigar, a homemade cigar. And a businessman who is very successful according to, according to the uh, social description or, or definition came and asked, what are you doing? And the fisherman says, oh, I'm relaxing. Oh, but it's only eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, why don't you go and work? He said, no, I woke up at five in the morning. I did my fishing and I'm just now sitting and smoking a cigar and relaxing. But why didn't you go again to the sea and, you know, catch some more fish? So the fisherman asked, but why? Oh, then you can, you know, uh, get some more fish and you can, you can sell those fish and you can become uh, richer and you can buy a bigger boat and then 
fisherman says, uh, asked him. And then, then you can, you know, use the bigger boat, catch more fish. And it continued like that, like till you are a huge mar- mar- merchant, fish merchant, and, uh, uh, fish merchant, and, and, and you can relax. The fisherman says, but I'm already relaxing. <laughs> I love it. So, you know what I mean? I'm already I'm relaxing and I'm having fun. What's oh. your problem? Why don't... So I have as much as I need and not yes. not to make my need bigger or larger. If you... If, if one is happy with, you know, with little things, because this is very important probably to make people understand as a part of their curriculum that physical comfort is not the ultimate thing that you should crave for right physical comfort is nice it's important but it's not the you know if you have a house and a lovely because because in india it is very natural in our oral understanding oral education that happiness you do not go to you must come from it it lies within that means it is within us how we respond or react to the things outside makes us happy or miserable or at peace or irritable or angered or, you know, outraged. So this knowledge, this wisdom rather than knowledge, this wisdom is ingrained uh, in a lot of people. It is slowly fading because of several reasons. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I make sense. No, it's, it's, it's lovely. It's, I was just... I, I, I had a slight delay responding because I was. It just made me really, really think deep inside as well, and and it's something, uh, it's something that um, I have been doing quite often, you know, for the last few years is looking deep inside myself and finding where my true happiness comes from, and it's always been there. Yeah. It's just recognizing it and and see what it is. Mm. I do. You, this this is such a delightful conversation, but um, we we do need to move on towards the end and, and wrap things up. So the last thing we need to do. And I'd, I'd love to keep in touch yeah. with you and talk to you again in the future. Anyway, but but there's one last thing to do. Sure. And to connect every single guest in this podcast, what we do is that each guest comes up with a word um, to for the next guest to try and link to the world, try and link to geography and things like that. So last guest I had was um, the wonderful Ellie Hopkins. She's better known as the uh, the curious geographer, and she does wonderful um, videos for teachers and students about lots of geography things and interviews. And uh, she is a big fan of spy novels. When okay. She, when she was trying to think of a word to come up with to challenge you, Adil, to link to geography, she thought, well, okay, let's just go with the, you, go with the word spy. So, um, so what you've got to do, Adil, is before you come up with your word for the next guest, is that you've got, you've got 30 seconds to try and talk about oh, spy or spies or whatever in a geographical way, in a geographical sense. So are you up for the challenge, Adil? <laughs> I'm not sure. I've never been challenged like that. No, I don't think everybody life. is. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so whenever when you start, whenever you're ready, and then I'll tell you when your, your time is up. So 30 seconds to talk about spy through a geographical lens or spies. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. I'll, yeah. Okay. Well, I think spying is a noble job if it is done with the intent of uh, bettering human lives and quite often like the small uh, you know little uh, little child they play i spy with my eye okay. uh, it is about obs- observing things it's about looking at details it's about 
uh, detecting uh, nuances in life. And uh, when it is misused by the government, it's different. But I think that it is a oh, very, very, it could be an extremely has, wonderful oh, job. The bell has cut you off for, right when we got into the podcast. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> uh, what a perfect answer. I think you nailed it. That was excellent. I'm, I was I was thinking of the macro scale, but you went for the micro scale, and uh, that was excellent. Good, right, Adil. What would you like to give for our next guest, and they will do the same. So they will have thirty seconds to link to geography, a word, or a topic of your choice. Um, embodiment. Embodiment. Right, embodiment. That would be really interesting. Okay. Okay, so Adil, is there anybody you would like to give uh, a shout out? Oh, well, I'll tell you what, I'll do one shout out on your behalf, and that is to your, your lovely wife, your partner who made you that tea. Is there anybody you would like to mention uh, to say hi to? Oh, yeah. Um, yes. Um, my very dear friend who lives in the UK, uh, his name is B. Parasha. Okay. Uh, I guess he would. It would be wonderful to say hi, hi, Bisajit, hi, B. <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, and uh, so you can get him to listen to the when this gets released, yes. and then you can. Okay, yes. and um, and one thing I also want to thank you because you know your your time is precious and everything like that is that you're very very generous of your time on on social media and and you interact with people who who try to talk to you, which is lovely. So uh, for I don't know if I'm inviting more people to descend on you here, Adil, but uh, um, <laughs> how can how can people connect with you on social media? Uh, no, just DM me because my DM is open. I kept it open uh, mm-hmm. in order to be in touch with uh, people, and uh, I choose to reply to sensible questions, and uh, you know, and 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 whoever wants to get in touch with me, my Instagram is open, uh, Facebook message, Messenger is open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do and that. On Twitter, yeah, so you're at underscore Adil Hussain on Twitter, and that's how we got connected, yeah. Instagram is the at underscore Adil Hussain. Right. Yes. Okay, So, but um, you're, you don't know what you're letting yourself in for because geography teachers can be very inquisitive, and if you get a flood of DMs from geography teachers, Adil, you can blame Kit for that. <laughs> okay, I'm looking forward. Adil... Um, I've, I've, this has been such a delight, such a pleasure. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. And I'll just end by saying namaste. Yeah, namaste to you too. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favorite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, Follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep jogging.